for supporting the Fable and Folly Network. Here's another show we know you'll love. Every day in the nice little Canadian town of Beavermount, Ontario, is pretty much the same. Folks are polite, there's a hockey game that evening, and someone gets brutally murdered. Sorry About the Murder, a very Canadian murder mystery podcast. New episodes weekly. Listen to season one now by typing Sorry About the Murder into your favorite podcast app. Ah, bello! Welcome to Accession. Today, we're at the Worcester Art Museum, but we're not here for what you might traditionally consider art, and we're certainly not here for what you'd normally expect to find in an art museum. This story isn't about a painting, or a sculpture, or a vase, or a vase, or a photograph. It's about... well, I'll let you see for yourself when you get there. We're going to head to a familiar corner of the museum, the room right off the mosaic court, where Mentuhotep still sits, keeping watch. As you pass Shelley, be sure to give him a nod and a wink. From this room, we'll want to head to the next room over, if Shelley and Mentuhotep were to look to their right. Mind the stairs as you enter the room, and take a seat on one of the couches. If you look around, you'll see pieces of armor and swords and other medieval treasures in cases. But the piece we're here for is not in a case, nor is it on the walls. In fact, it's on top of the walls. Today, we're looking at Worcester Art Museum, accession number 1952.18. If you're at the museum with us, then you are currently looking at one of the museum's best-kept secrets, which all good museums have, and one of my greatest burdens, which most art history people have. But you may have noticed that I refrained from giving the piece a name. The reason is twofold. The first is because what you are looking at is not a piece of art in the fine art sense, but a piece of art that would fit more in the category of interior design, or fixture. You're looking at a beautifully crafted wooden ceiling, with enthralling designs painted all over. And most ceilings, with a few fine art exceptions that prove the rule, generally do not have names. The second reason I have withheld the name is that what the museum calls it kind of gives away the country that it came from. And today, I thought we'd do a little art history detective work to figure out that for ourselves. Now, the first thing you might notice is that this ceiling is made of two sets of rafters. Larger rafters moving parallel to the couches on the ground, and smaller rafters in between those, running perpendicular. However, upon closer inspection, you'll notice that the pieces of wood aren't the large pieces of timber you might expect, but rather smaller boards that have been joined together. What this indicates to us is that this roof needed to be able to breathe. As seasons change, temperature and moisture levels can cause the wood to contract and expand, and in extreme cases, crack and break. But with multiple smaller boards joined together, there's room for the boards to expand and contract without causing larger structural damage. Thus, we are looking for a country with warm dry summers and cold wet winters. The next thing we have to look at is the design. Every inch of the ceiling is covered in designs, either geometric patterns made largely of spiraling orthogonal pathways, 
or leaves and flowers that curve into repetitive patterns that leaves and flowers don't often curve into. Every nook and cranny of this ceiling is filled. And from this fact, and the general aesthetic, you may have already pegged that this design is somehow connected to Islamic culture. In Islamic art, we often refer to the four components of Islamic ornamentation. Vegetal patterns, geometric patterns, calligraphy, and figural representations, with figural representation being almost entirely absent from architecture and religious art for religious reasons. Additionally, whatever is being covered with Islamic ornamentation is usually completely covered, without being overly crowded, an aesthetic idea that is often not quite accurately associated with the European idea of horror vacui, or kinophobia for those of you who, like me, prefer the Greek alternatives. But if you see these two principles, one or more of the four types of Islamic ornamentation, and a complete covering by said ornamentation, you can wager a fair guess that the piece is probably Islamic, if not heavily influenced by Islamic art. But there's another design here that's not geometric and not vegetal, nor calligraphy or figure, but heraldic. Not Islamic or Arabic, but European. Between the smaller rafters, but on the larger ones, are paintings of shields family crests. There are two shields here that we can see that alternate between the rafters. The one, in heraldic terms, is a chief and a saltire, or a bar at the top of the shield with an X dividing the body of the shield into four sections. The top and bottom sections are red, with the left and right sections being blue and yellow crosses. Alternating with those are red shields, with a white vase of lilies on the left, and a purple lion on its hind legs to the right. These two symbols are almost certainly indicative of specific families, and almost certainly indicative of the families that owned and lived in this house. In some parts of the ceiling you can even see other shields that belong to the families from earlier in the lineage. So now I think we have enough information. The combination of climate that the ceiling is built for and the Islamic ornamentation and European heraldry puts us squarely in Spain. Rule was passed back and forth between Muslims and Christians for many centuries, resulting in an art that at times fluctuated between the two, but ultimately created an incredible blending of the two cultures, like we can see in the ceiling above us. And if there was a card in this room pointing out the ceiling above, it would probably mention that the ceiling is from the late 15th century, but I have yet to find that card. Now just take a moment to think about that. This ceiling, the one above you right now, is over 500 years old. The one that you are looking at this very minute was not built for this room. It was on top of some other set of four walls over some other floor in a country across an ocean. To me, that's absolutely incredible. Unfortunately for us, Spain is as close as we are going to get on geographically pinning down the original location of this roof. Because we don't actually know what family is associated with the shields that were last painted on these rafters.
and despite the fact that it's a roof that was once attached to four other walls, we don't actually know where those four walls are. The museum didn't even buy the roof in Spain. If we could find that card with information on this ceiling, we would know that it was purchased in Venice in the 1930s. And when the director of the Wham at the time traveled to Spain to see the house, where we thought the ceiling originally resided, it was discovered that the room was far too small, and there's no way that it could have been that house. If you're the type who is up for some real art history detective work, or happens to know a lot about Spanish heraldic symbols, there's at least two big questions to answer here. Whose family crests are these? And what house did that family live in? Ultimately, answering one would probably help us answer the other, but as I look up at the ceiling today, both remain those brilliantly unanswered questions that give us a reason to keep telling stories. Today, as we look upon the roof, it appears dusty, muted. But then you might look dusty and muted too if you were a Spanish roof that was transported to Italy and then sold to America after 500 years. But blink for just a moment, and you can't help but see the reds brighten back to a deep rose color. The blues shoot to the color of an ocean on a warm, clear day. The oranges ripen to the color of their eponymous fruit, and the greens become more verdant as the plants come alive upon the ceiling. I like to imagine that the people who lived in this house, who wanted their roof painted in this way, wanted it to seem like the world above them was overgrown, like their home contained the capacity for the most fascinating forms of life, that even their ceiling had some sort of life to it. It now may make more sense to you why there are two lamps in this room, and comfortable chairs that don't really seem to be pointing at the art. They are all there to hopefully get you to take a moment and look up. And now we've arrived back at my burden. I often find myself here as well, with much the same purpose. I sit here and watch patron after patron wander through these galleries without ever once glancing up and seeing the beauty just above them. Or, at least, I did that once. Now I can't help but warn people as they pass through the room that they might be missing out. I also can't help but imagine that at some point, when it was back in that Spanish home, the homeowners would have to do the same. We spend so much time focusing on the things in front of us that we forget to look up at the little details don't forget to look up. And at some point in the 30s, some Venetian merchant or some art historian who was looking to save treasures from a war-torn Spain, they were inspecting some house, some house lost to time, and they didn't forget to look up. And they saw a ceiling that they thought needed saving. And so they brought it to Venice, where the Wham bought it, and transported it to this room, probably adjusting the dimensions so it could have a place to sit where it fit just right. And it ended up here. And now here you are too, looking up at it. 
Of course, if I hadn't have said anything, you might have just missed it. Don't forget to look up. But now, by having listened to this episode and having shared this secret with you, the burden is no longer my own. When you find yourself walking through this gallery, and you see people looking at those pieces of armor and enameling in the glass cases, it's now your job, your burden to pass along this beautiful secret as well. Don't forget to look up. So I hope that you take this as an invaluable lesson. Every time you walk into an art gallery, pay attention to what's hanging along the walls, and what's sitting on the pedestals, and who's standing next to you. But don't forget to glance up every once in a while. You never know what you might be missing. Another beautiful secret, perhaps. It just might go over your head. Don't forget to look up. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Accession. Our special thanks this week goes out to all the students of the Holy Cross Ekphrasis class, whose brilliant work culminated in a podcast tour of the Worcester Art Museum that I am so proud to have been involved in. Their work has been a huge inspiration to me, and I can't wait to share it with you as those stories get published right here at Accession over the summer. You're going to want to stick around for what they have in store. The drum music that serves as our theme is played by Mike Harmon, with Casey Dawson providing his recording, engineering, and editing talents. You can hire him at CaseyDawson.com or follow him at Facebook.com slash CaseyDawsonSound. Our show art was made by V. Silverman, who you can hire to make art for you at VCSilverman.com. And you should also be listening to their amazing podcast, Fuzzy Logic. Last week, I literally had to pull the car over. It was so funny. This episode was produced, written, recorded, and edited by me, TH Ponders. You can follow me most places at TH Ponders, and the show on Twitter and Instagram, Tumblr, and Facebook at AccessionFM. And as always, you can find the notes for the show, links to the art, and maybe a few other goodies on our website at accession.fm. The Fable and Folly Network, where fiction producers flourish.